Let's open with a word of prayer and let's dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, the words of man are a waste of time. The opinions of man are a waste of time. But we want to hear from you. So I pray that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. By reminder, First Chronicles, the first nine chapters, if you will remember, were all, it was a genealogy going all the way from Adam all the way up to the children of Israel through King David. And so those nine chapters covered over 3,000 years of human history. And the reason that the genealogies were in there is that the children of Israel had been in bondage for 70 years in Babylon because of their disobedience to God. They had started worshiping false idols. They had turned their back on the true and living God. God allowed them to be taken away into captivity in three different phases. So they had been in Babylon for 70 years. And now by the grace of God, they're coming back to Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem for 70 years has basically uh, become desolate. There's nothing there. And so these post-exilic Jews who are coming back to Israel, many, if not most of them, had never been to Israel before. And so they're given, they were given that history to show the link from Adam through Seth all the way through Abraham and how it came all the way down to King David. And so last week we saw in the first chapter that moved past the genealogies, kind of the history of, of Saul. King Saul, remember, he was the king that the people wanted. The people cried out for a king, but they already had a king. Who was their king? Almighty God. So they already had a king, but they looked around at the world and they wanted a a king like the world had. And the Lord, through Samuel, warned them and said, look, if you cry out for a king, we're going to get a king, but he's going to be a king that's going to harm you. He's going to bring destruction to the nation. He's going to take your children into slavery to serve him. And they were totally, and they said, we don't care. We want him anyway. And you know, God does the same thing with us. He warns us in his word, things that will bring harm into our lives. You've heard me say it a hundred times, so one more won't hurt you. The Bible is not, the word of God is not a wall or a fence to keep you out of Disneyland. It is a guardrail to keep you from driving off a cliff. See, he's not trying to keep you from fun. He wants to keep you from harm. He's a loving heavenly father. And so we saw King Saul, and King Saul, sadly, uh, we took some time to go back into Samuel because it looks, if you just read the text, it looks harsh that King Saul was judged by God and he died, right? But then we go back and we look at what Saul had done. He got full of himself. He rebelled against God. When God told him to wipe out the Amalekites, a picture of the flesh, he was dragging the king back. He disobeyed the Lord, but kept saying he was walking in obedience. And so we saw the end of King Saul in chapter 10. Now tonight, we're going to start looking at who really... First Chronicles is about, and it's about King David. Now we've already seen a lot about King David in First and Second Samuel. And so now we're going to see some more in-depth and some added stuff about King David. And we're going to begin in tonight's text. Now, if you have your outline, grab it. And I tell the message, the battle belongs to the Lord. We're going to see tonight, not only King David, but the army of warriors that are raised up with him. And how God raises up his mighty men to serve alongside King David. And in there, in the pictures of things that we see in tonight's text, we're also going to see some spiritual uh, examples for us and how God is the one who's in control and that God is faithful and we put our hope in him. So the battle belongs to the Lord. First, we're going to see that God is always faithful to his promises. Praise God for that. Amen. 
He promises he will never leave you nor forsake you. He promises that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. He promises that when you're born again, he gives you a down payment on heaven in the person of the Holy Spirit. He promises you that he goes away and he's preparing a place for us and he's coming back one day or he's going to snatch us away first and then we're going to come back and rule and reign with him on the earth for a thousand years. So I love, there's so many promises in the word of God. Some have said there's as many as 30,000 promises in the word of God and the Lord is faithful to all of them. We serve a faithful God, amen? So first we're going to see that God is always faithful to his promises and that God's highest is worth the weight. Then we're going to see if God is for us, who can be against us? You know, those who, you heard me say it often, those who are used mightily in scripture, all of them suffer greatly. And I love that quote that I shared on Sunday from Spurgeon that he said, no one wears a crown in heaven that doesn't carry a cross on earth. So it's a suffering that we go through in this life. If we've surrendered our life to the Lord, it is but light affliction when compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. It's for but a little while. Is it worth it for us to be uncomfortable in this life so we can lead others to the Lord? And that's exactly what he's talking about. If God is for us, we're going to see those taking a stand for the Lord in the face of opposition from the world. Then we're going to see Christians can be strong. One of the things I, first of all, nobody, know, nobody knows what Jesus looked like, and it doesn't matter. Amen? Okay? That being said, when people do drawings of Jesus, sometimes they make him look wimpy. Amen? He looks like an emaciated, that is not, first of all, he was a, con, he was a contractor, amen? He worked in construction probably with stone, all right? So he was rocked up, amen? He not only rocked, but he was rocked, amen? So that's our Savior. And it's, you know what? I think it's this, this portrayal that if you're a Christian, you have to be kind of wimpy. And you know, No, the word meek means strength under control. And you know what? We need to be strong in the power of his might. Not our power, but his power, amen? And we're going to see that we have strength in the Lord. And we don't have to be, you know, scared half to death like, like little mice. That's not who we are in Christ, Amen? Can have power in him. It says in 1 Corinthians, watch, stand fast in faith, be strong. Warriors don't give up, they stand up against the enemy. We'll see that tonight. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Number four, the Lord wants us to focus on what's in front of us, not what's behind us. You know what the enemy loves to do? He has you, have, have, loves to have you look back and be tormented by what's behind you or be longing for the way things used to be. And, and I love the quote from the Apostle Paul in Philippians, it says that, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Look, I know that it's not always easy not to look back. I'll tell you, for me, it's really hard right now. Because most of you know, my son went to heaven seven months ago. And I'll tell you what, I'm constantly, I watch video, I miss him. I want to hear his voice. And so what do you do? You look back. And again, it's okay to reminisce some, but guys, our focus needs to be on what's in front of us. We need to set our minds on things above, not on things of the earth. Amen? And we're going to see that in tonight's text. Then fifth, our enemies are only great if our God is small. We're going to see some guys do some amazing stuff in tonight's text. And they began off discontented and distressed. Then they hung out with King David for a while. And all of a sudden they were brave and they were bold and they were fearless. Because they knew if God is for us, who can be against us? And we're going to see these guys do mighty things. We're going to see one guy kill 300 people with a spear. 
Another guy jumps into a pit and fights a lion barehanded and, and destroys him. Now, again, we look at some of this, oh, poor lion. Hey, the reality is, <laughs> in the Bible, right, who's the roaring lion seeking whom we may devour? Satan. Satan is. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen? We can have victory over that. And then finally, spiritual maturity and leadership are reflected most by not only standing for the Lord against the world, but the influence his life and character have on those closest to him. See, if we're walking with the Lord, we'll not only be able to stand against the world, but we'll, we will have an impact on others. We'll have an impact on other believers. I love hanging out with people who are on fire for God. How about you? And when I hang out with people that love the Lord and are walking with the Lord, you know what it does? It strengthens my walk. And you know what? The three-chord strand is not easily broken. You become like the people you hang out with. I was a youth pastor for 15 years. I used to tell youth group kids, you want to see your future? Look at your friends. And we, don't, we want to make sure that we can be an example to others. So let's begin there in 1 Chronicles chapter 11. The battle belongs to the Lord. God is always faithful to his promises. It says in verse 1, Then all Israel came together to David at Hebron. Now, all Israel came together. When David was 12 or 13, he was anointed king over Israel. And now he is 37 years old. So for 25 years, he is the anointed king, but not the appointed king. He's been anointed by God. He knew God had a calling upon his life. And for 25 years, we saw that first Saul reigned for most of that. And then after Saul died in the previous chapter, it's not mentioned here, but if you go back to Samuel, his son Ishbosheth took his place and became the new king. And the only ones that recognized David as king was Judah, the two tribes in the south, Judah and Benjamin. And everybody else recognized Ishbosheth. And again, they didn't learn from King Saul. King Saul was a disaster. King Saul was. Uh, was rebellious against God. And what do they do? They put his son in his place instead of looking for the true king. So King David has waited 25 years from when he was anointed king to now when Israel all finally comes to him. And so God made a promise to him when he was 12 or 13, and now he's 37. Some of you may feel that way. You know, I feel like the Lord put this on my heart all these years ago, and I'm still waiting. Anybody feel like they're still waiting? Okay. You know, it's interesting. Some, most of you know this. When I was, uh, I became a pastor when I was in my early 20s, so 34 years ago. And when I first became a pastor, I just, you know, I, I was a youth pastor and I thought that's what I was going to be. And after some years, I knew that I was going to go plant a church. And my, my senior pastor said, you know, that's God's calling on your life. And do you know that I knew that that was coming? I waited, it was 10 more years before it happened that I, I, I went to Northern California to plant a church. I ended up becoming a youth pastor at another church in San Jose for five years. And see, God knows what he's doing, and we can trust in the sovereignty of God, and that's exactly what we should be doing. And so what happens here is David has waited. And because the, the fleshly desires of God's chosen people, they wanted a king like everyone else has. They chose someone who was good-looking and, and uh, charismatic and, and tall, and they thought, man, that's going to be our guy. And God warned the people, and they cried out for him anyway. And Saul's rebellion and unwillingness to truly repent led to God's righteous judgment and eventually to his death. So David had rightfully been king and waiting for a long time. And David, we don't see David murmur against God. 
he, he gets a little frustrated when he's running for his life. But for the most part, remember, he, he, he was given opportunities to take Saul out, right? He's in the cave at Adullam, and he comes in, and he's relieving himself. There's King Saul, and he's got all his mighty men with him. Some of the same guys that are killing lions of 300 guys by themselves. So King Saul, who's defenseless, would have been an easy guy to take out. And yet they wouldn't do it. Because King David said, that belong, the vengeance belongs to the Lord. And I will not touch the Lord's anointed. And that's a lesson for all of us. Let God take vengeance, amen, not us. So David waited. He left uh, judgment in God's hand. And when God removes a rebellious and disqualified leader, most often he replaces him with someone far better. You know, it happens all the time, sadly. I told you this, I've told you this before too, that when I would go to the senior pastor's conference, especially when Pastor Chuck was still here, he's been in heaven for quite a while now. But his first message of every senior pastor's conference, there'd be, you know, 2,500 or 3,000 senior pastors in the room, and it would be the things that can stumble us in ministry. And he'd say, look around the room. Some of you guys won't be here next year because you're going to rebel against God. You're going to choose to fall. And it was always, touch not the women, touch not the money, touch not the wine, touch not the glory. Those are areas that people can stumble. And so, the reality is that God will often remove that person that's in open rebellion, and by God's grace, he'll bring someone in that is far better. And that's what's happening here. Saul was in rebellion against God. God has removed him. Ishbosheth has been in his place for about, about seven years. And now they've all come together to finally recognize the king that God had anointed and now appointed. And he'd been anointed some 25 years earlier. And again, it says all Israel. Prior to this, only one of the tribes recognized him, and the other tribes recognized Ishbosheth. Uh, by the way, Ishbosheth ends up dying in 2 Samuel chapter 4. And once he's dead, then they finally go, Well, I guess we'll give David a shot. <laughs> you know, and it's really tragic. We shouldn't, Jesus Christ should not be the last resort. Amen? It shouldn't be the last place we go, the last one we run to. Well, I tried everything else. I guess I'll pray. And there's this mentality, guys, Jesus Christ should be the priority and the passion of your life above anything and everything else. Amen? He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He should be your best friend. He's our Savior, our God, and our King. We should magnify his most holy name and praise him. He should not be the last resort. He should be the first one we run to. And it's significant that the chronicler makes no reference to the seven years that David ruled in Judah. So he's anointed here. He's been ruling in the southern kingdom for seven years. But now it's finally where all of Israel is coming together. All, all 12 tribes are coming together. And they're finally all going to recognize that David is indeed the king. And again, he is faith. God is faithful to his promises. And you know what? We pray in our time, God answers in his time, and his timing is perfect. Amen? So trust his promises. They'll come in his perfect time. And again, it's not always the way we want it to happen, but we're all idiots compared to God. Amen? And so God's, God's wiser. And so David would reign again for over Israel for 33 years. So the seven years in Judah, and then the 33 years in all of Israel combined, he's going to reign for 40 years. And in the Bible, 40, we know is a number of testing. So this is actually the third time he's been anointed. He was anointed by Samuel when he was a young man. Remember, at the time, his own dad didn't think much of David. 
He shows up and says, God has revealed to me that one of your sons is going to be the king. And he brought all his sons in except David. He left him out in the field. And he's like, oh, it must be him. No, it's not him. The Lord keeps telling Sam, like he's good, tall. There's a Saul-like guy. No, that's not him. They go through the whole list. Finally, he says, you got any other sons? We got the little ruddy guy out watching the sheep. And they bring him in. And that's the verse that you've all quoted. Man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. See, man, man looking for, you know, someone charismatic and someone strong, and they're, they're looking for that outward appearance, and God sees the heart. And, you know, we need to be more sensitive to that. Let's not be so enamored with outward appearance, because what really matters is the heart, amen? And so David was anointed then, but he was anointed again when he was recognized and anointed over the tribe of Israel in 2 Samuel chapter 4. So he was, he was anointed by the Lord as a teenager, through Samuel. He was anointed again when he became king of Judah, and now he's being anointed again finally all of Israel after waiting 25 years. You know what? God's timing is always worth it. Amen? Waiting on the Lord isn't always easy, but it's always worth it. And again, it's sad that the tribes only turned to David when their previous choice, Isphesheth, the son of Saul, was taken away. And again, the same principle for us, we should choose Jesus outright, not just when other options fail. These have that said, give Jesus a try back in the 70s. Don't give Jesus a try. <laughs> or they'll say, I found Jesus. He's not lost. Amen. We're lost. We don't give Jesus a try. We surrender our lives to the Lord fully. Amen. So then he says there at the rest of verse 1. He said, they came together at Hebron saying, indeed, we are, your, uh, we are your bone and your flesh. So the elders of Israel received David's leadership because he was an Israelite. Now, by the way, wasn't he an Israelite 25 years earlier? Wasn't he an Israelite when, when Saul was taken out? Yeah. But they're finally to the place where they're ready to say, okay, we're going to surrender our lives to the Lord and we are going to follow the one that was anointed by God. Verse two. Then it says there, also in times past, even when Saul was king, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord your God said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over my people Israel. They already knew this. They said, you know what, I, you know, hey, you know what, we, you're bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh. You know, we're all the same tribe. We're the same, you know, you're of Israel, we're of Israel. And by the way, you were the guy winning all the wars. And don't you remember that the way we see, when you think of David in the Bible, what's the first thing you think of? Goliath. And I love that, again, it bears repeating a thousand times because David is a teenager. He's been anointed by God. They're fighting the Philistines. Everybody's scared to death, including King Saul, because he's been told by God that the kingdom's been ripped from your hands. And so when a 11-foot, 750-pound Goliath comes down to the bottom of the valley of Elah with an armor bearer in front of him and the voice of someone who's 11 feet tall weighing 750, I defy the army. And, you know, and, and all the children of Israel are just scared half to death. And the David, to his brother. Here, get some, here's some Jesse. He said, here's some cheese. Take it to your brothers. They're out there fighting. We're not fighting anything. Should have brought him a boat. Amen. What does he do? See, 11 foot 750. And when everyone else is shaking, what does David say? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against my God? 
He doesn't see 11 foot 750 against a mere man. He sees a puny man against Almighty God. And a God is for us who can be against us. And everybody else is shaking. And he says, I'll fight him. Again, if we go out with the Lord, if God is on our side, and we know what happens. 11 foot 750. <laughs> David steps on his, cuts his head off, holding his head up. And as soon as he's dead, all of a sudden, all the children of Israel got really brave. And all the Philistines were running away. And they're chasing after them. So people remember. And then he went out and he was winning battles against not the Philistines, but all their enemies. And they started singing songs about David. And this is why Saul got mad at him. Because they were singing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. And the king doesn't like that. And so what does he do? He starts throwing spears at David. He starts trying to kill David. He's mounting up armies to find David and to kill David. But God's protecting David. Guys, we're indestructible until God's through with us. So King David, he's been a mighty man, and they knew it. You were the guy that won battles for us. You were the guys that, that, let, that walked out in front of us into battle. You're the one that brought victory. Well, duh, that's been going on for 25 years. Why didn't you anoint this guy a long time ago? But sometimes it takes us a while because we're thick, amen? So they're referring to David's leadership, leading people into battle, even while Saul was still king. And in fact, that's what got him in trouble with King Saul. So the Lord your God said to you, you shall shepherd my people and be ruler. So that was a promise God had made to David. And God made him this promise and he knew it was from the Lord, but he had to wait 25 years for it to happen. And now it finally does. It says there, you shall, and said unto thee, thou shalt feed my people Israel. You will feed my people God keeps his promises, again, even though he had to wait 25 years. And we are told that David, again, was a young boy when he was anointed. And during these years, life for David wasn't exactly easy. David was a shepherd fighting off lions and bears. God was preparing him to fight off people like Goliath. And David went through a great amount of suffering, running for his own life. He had to be away from his own family. Saul wanted him dead. He was an arch enemy. At that time, he went down and dwelled around the Philistines. And so David, even though he had been anointed, went through a lot of great difficulty. But see, again, no suffering is wasted. All those difficulties he was going through was preparation for him to be the king over Israel. And whatever suffering you're going through, none of it is wasted. And God will use it for his glory if you will but let him. He's molding you more into the image of our Savior. He's preparing you for what is next. I hate to keep bringing this up, but it's so true right now. There's one ministry I really want to know part of, and that's a ministry of knowing what it's like to have one of your children die. But by the way, my son didn't die. He moved to a much better neighborhood. Amen? He's more alive than anybody here. But that being said, now all of a sudden, I have, I'm getting calls almost daily because I'm on the Calvary Chapel pastor server for the whole country. There's 3,000 pastors on it, and a lot of them situation. So somebody in their family loses a child and they're calling me. And you know what? It's not a ministry I wanted, but you know what? It's a ministry that God drafted me into. And so I want to be faithful to that because people want to talk to somebody who understands what they're going through. And I would, re- I hope none of you ever know what I'm going through. I know some of you do, but the point is that no suffering is wasted. And when we surrender our life to the Lord, we don't get, we don't surrender, you know, with, uh, you know, conditions. Okay, Lord, I give my life to you, but not that. Lord, I give my life to you, but I'm not, I'm not moving. You know, Lord, I'm not doing that. I don't want to do that. Lord, I'll, I'll give my life to you as long as you let me have what I want. That's not giving your life to the Lord. 
When we surrender our lives to the Lord, it means he can do with it as he wills. And at the same time, know that he loves you enough that at what he wills to do will bring glory and honor to his name and will draw us closer to him. He had promised that he would be king, but all these 25 years and all the suffering he went through was preparing him to be the man of God that God wanted him to be before he made him king. And again, no suffering is wasted. So the elders of Israel received David's leadership because it was evident God had a calling upon his life. So three things they've already talked about in these two verses here. First of all, they recognized that he was one of them. He was one of God's people. He had a heart for Israel and he had a heritage in Israel. And so someone who's leading God's people should be someone who loves the Lord and loves God's people. Amen. Number two, he had to demonstrate, demonstrate the capability to lead. And David had done that. David had led the teenage boy and he led them into, into battles when he was still a teenager. He was running in front of all the warriors. He was fearless because his eyes were focused on the Lord. And that's a man God can use. I tell people, you know how someone's a leader? If you know if they're a leader or not, just sheep follow. Amen? And then thirdly, a leader must be, have an evident call from God. When someone's called, you know it. I don't care what it's called. If you're called to set up chairs, the way you set up chairs will be evident. If you're called to, whatever you're called to do, when, you're, when God has called you to do it, it will be evident because it's beyond human capability and it's something that is done from the heart. The elders of Israel, again, received David's leadership when they saw these things in David. And when we see these same things in leaders, we should receive their leadership as well. The image of the shepherd, who in ancient times was normally an employer dependent, also confirms that as the king, you're answerable to Yahweh for his flock. The Bible says that not many of us should be teachers. And here's how I, when I teach young pastors or people that are desired to be in ministry, I say, here's basically what's happening. God is allowing you to watch his kids, to take care of his kids, to serve his kids, to lay down your life for his kids. Now, if you're serving and laying down your life for his kids, he's gonna come back and pick up soon, right? You don't feed him junk, amen? You're not gonna be an ungodly example in front of them. You're not going to allow wolves to come and attack them. So what are you gonna do? You're gonna feed them what is best. You're gonna be willing to lay down your life for them. You're gonna be available to them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. See, if you're not ready to serve people with your entire life and surrender your own time and make them the priority above your own life, then you're not a shepherd. See, you can't be a shepherd if you don't love sheep. Amen? And that's the exhortation here, is that, David, yeah, I'm making you king, but those are my people. They're not yours, they're mine. And I'm calling you to lead them and to love them and to serve them and to point them in the right direction spiritually and to stand for the things of God and not to compromise what the word of God commands. And so they saw these things in the life of David and sadly they won't go on forever, but it says in the word of God that he was the greatest king of Israel ever outside of Jesus. Being called to be a servant leader by the Lord, it's a great blessing but it's also a great responsibility that comes with heavy accountability. And again, the sheep belong to the Lord and those who lead will give an account to the Lord for how they cared for his sheep. I will meet pastors sometimes and we will talk and they'll tell me what they're teaching their people. And I said, bro, you're feeding them cotton candy, man. Their teeth are going to rot. 
Stop it. <laughs> we don't need books about the Bible. We need books in the Bible. Amen? We don't need seven steps of financial freedom or three ways to overcome your anger or beaver doesn't live anymore to the series or the roller coaster ride of life. We need to open up the Bible, open it, read it, obey it. Amen? So there's the exhortation. And you know what? We will stand accountable to Almighty God one day, anybody who does this. If you teach in the children's ministry, you need to be just as prepared to teach five five-year-olds as you would 5,000 adults because they're just as precious in the eyes of the Lord. Amen? And that's the exhortation, and that's the calling. It says there in verse 3, Therefore all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel according to the word of the Lord by Samuel. And called by God, not chosen by men. I want you to notice that. We don't vote for who God called. Amen? Any pastor that's doing his job, you should know if he gets hit by a bus, who's going to be the pastor tomorrow? You don't need a search committee. We're not going to bring 700 candidates through over the next three years and have the church fall apart looking for a guy that we vote on. Amen? And the person that is called by God, everybody knows it. If I get hit by a bus tomorrow, and I, by the way, I'd be okay with that, all right? Because heaven's better. Amen? I want to finish strong while I'm here. And my wife gets mad at me every time I say that kind of stuff. Stop saying that. But there's a real, we have no fear if we know where we're going, amen? But I get hit by a bus tomorrow, who's the pastor? Joshua Camp. See, I want the whole church to always know that. Because if I hit by the church, we'll just have church next Sunday. I'll be hanging out with Jesus in heaven and you can have church in a tent, amen? It's all good. Heaven's better. So they anointed him king over Israel, they recognized God's calling upon his life. And so the first point there, God is always faithful to his promises. This is the way, 25 years of waiting before it happened. 25 years he waited. But God's timing is perfect. We saw three characteristics of a godly leader. Must have a heart for God's people. Must demonstrate the, the, the capability to lead. And must have a clear calling from the Lord. Verses 4 to 9, if God is for us, who can be against us? Watch what happens here in verse 4. So now he's been anointed king, but he's got to go get Jerusalem back. See, it's been 400 years since they entered into the land of promise, and they still have not conquered the area where Jerusalem is. The Jebusites are ruling over that area, and David is moved by God. They're in Hebron, which is in another portion of Israel, but Jerusalem is really the place that God is leading David to make that the capital and the, the place where the temple would be. And so what does he have to do? He has to go down and remove the Jebusites out of Jerusalem. Now remember, when God called them into the land, he told them there would be giants in the land and that God would give them victory. But sadly, they left a lot of giants in the land and they became fearful. And so now David has to go down and he's gonna take that land from the Jebusites, but the Jebusites are gonna mock him because it's quite a fortress down in Jerusalem. And they think that they're, it's, it's impossible for anyone to overthrow them. Kind of like the guy who built the Titanic, amen? Where they think, oh, it, it can't happen. It won't sink. No one could ever come against us. Well, you know what? When you've been used by God to take down 11 foot 750, you know that anything's possible with him, amen? God's used you mightily. He can use you mightily again. Look at verse four. And David and all Israel went to Jerusalem 
which is Jabus, were the Jebusites, were the inhabitants of the land. But the inhabitants of Jabus said to David, you shall not come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. When you go over to 2 Samuel chapter 5, they literally say, you're not going to come in here. You can't get in here. Even if all we had was blind and lame people, you couldn't overthrow us. 2 Samuel 5, go read it. And he literally says, if, if all of our people died and we just had a bunch of blind people on top of the wall and a bunch of people who couldn't even walk, you couldn't overthrow us even then. So they're arrogant because they're putting their faith in a fortress. See, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. See, we don't put faith in the military, though again, military is nothing wrong with that. David's going to have a military. He's going to raise up mighty men. But you know, we don't put our faith We don't put our trust in the world. So at this point, Jerusalem was still this small Canaanite city in the center of Israel, some 400 years after God commanded them. It had been all this time. But notice David goes down and he took the stronghold of Zion. That is the city of David. Now, we know in scripture, there's two cities referred to as the city of David. One of them is Jerusalem, because that's the capital, that's the place. But he also, Bethlehem, also referred to as the city of David. Why is that? He was born there. Okay? So those two cities are referred to in the Bible as the city of David. Here this is talking, of course, about Jerusalem. And so they thought their fortress was, couldn't be penetrated. They thought even if, again, if lame and the blind were protecting them, that David could no way have victory. Guys, if God is for us, who can be against us? You plus God is a majority. The things that we think are impossible, all things are possible with God. Amen? And sadly, too often, we don't even pray for him because we don't have enough faith. We don't have faith in faith. We have faith in Christ. Amen? So watch what happens. It says there, now David said, verse, seven, verse 6, whoever attacks the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. And Joab, the son of Zariah, went up first and became chief. So Joab, we know again from other texts, he literally goes, so there's a, if you go to Jerusalem with us, and we're going to go back, we, COVID messed things up for a while, but we're going to go back, we'll set up a time, hopefully next year. And one of the things they found is there's a, a water tunnel that, that you can go through, so if the water is cut off, you can walk through it and walk right into Jerusalem. Well, that's exactly what Joab does. He goes through this this place where water comes out, blocks it off, and walks right into the city and wipes out the enemy and takes over Jerusalem. So Joab proved himself in battle. Again, first one to kill a Jebusite. We know from 1 Chronicles chapter 2, back in that genealogy, and it says it here, he's the son of Zariah. Well, Zariah is one of the older sisters of King David. So Joab's his nephew. And so Joab is a fearless man. He said, somebody needs to go fight the battle. The first one that goes in and wins the battle, and then Joab's. And you know what? The strong on account of one who served his loyalty to him. He was always looking for men and women just to be available. Joab was available. Joab stepped out in faith, and he was used mildly by God. Jerusalem became the capital city of David's kingdom. And it was a good choice because it had no prior uh, tribal association amongst the 12 tribes. And the geography of the city made it, made it easy to defend it 
uh, from any hostile armies, but most importantly, it's where God chose. And it's also very close to Bethlehem, which was David's hometown. So David knew greatness, but he was by no means an overnight success. Here they go fight these battles. Before that battle took place, he spent 25 years going through great difficulty. But now because he had won so many battles, because he had seen God show up so many times, you know, every time God does something miraculous in our life, it increases our faith. Amen? For it said, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. So every time our faith is tested, what does that do? It strengthens our faith. And because David had seen 11 foot 750 drop, he'd seen tens of thousands drop in the field, in, the, in battle. He'd seen God protect him from King Saul. He saw God's hand on every aspect of his life. So when they went in to fight Jerusalem, it was a foregone conclusion. He, I've seen God show up. He's going to show up again. And God, when, a, when we go through trials, remember again that no suffering is wasted because it is an opportunity to see the mighty hand of God at work, preparing us for what is next. Everyone used mildly in scripture, as we've talked about, suffered greatly. And the right old chronicles to those uh, heading back to Jerusalem after, 400, after 40 years in, or 70 years in bondage, and after 400 years of it being empty, now they're coming back. That's who he's writing to. So they're coming back to Jerusalem. They're being told this story. This is how Jerusalem was taken captive. King David came. God allowed him to come in and have victory. God gave him this land. Then because of the rebellion, they were torn away. Now they're coming back and they need to know the history that this is God's place. This is where the temple is going to be rebuilt. And again, this is where the hand of God is going to be at work. It says there in verse seven, then David dwelt in the stronghold. They called it the city of David, and he built the city around it from the Malo and the surrounding area. So David went on and became great, Lord of hosts. Batteries. Try to use this till they get up here. I love handheld mics, not. <laughs> so, one up here? Sounds good now? Yeah, All right. Where is it? Okay, right there. All right. Lord, let the microphone work in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You can slay giants, you can make a microphone work. Amen. So David went on and became, became great. Now, and, and I, we see that word, and that word gets thrown around a lot. There really is only one who's truly great, and that's God. Amen? But it says here, he made David great. But what made David great? Because the Lord was with him. You see that? David was great because the Lord was with him. A lot of people think they're great. <laughs> There's only one who's great. It's Almighty God. Amen? So point number two there, God is for us. Who can be against us? They went in. They won the battle in Jerusalem. God's hand was upon him. God made him great. And we're going to see that God's going to use him in great and mighty ways. Point number three, Christians can be strong. Watch, stand fast in faith, be strong. Look at verse 10. Now, these were the heads of the mighty men whom David had, who strengthened themselves with him in the kingdom with all Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. For David to have a great kingdom, first God can do anything, but God rose up a great military. 
But the military that he raised up is not the military you would think. Because we know that these were the, David's 300, began with 300 disgruntled guys who just had no future and nowhere to go. And David gathered them up. And when David was running for his life, they were with him. But we're going to see in tonight's text, these guys became mighty men of God. But I believe that they're mighty men of God because they, ha- they hung out with a guy who became great because he was walking with God. Amen? Because he was a mighty man of God. It started rubbing off on those guys who were following with him. And that's what a great leader does. Is, first of all, he's a servant above all else, but he is somebody whose passion and love for the Lord is going to impact those who hang out with him. Amen? And that's exactly what takes place here. So Christians can be strong. To a carnal church at Corinth, Paul wrote this. They've been acting like babies, right, in, in, in Corinth. He said, I, brethren, could not speak unto you as to unto spiritual, but as carnal, even as babes in Christ. I have fed you milk, not with meat. For here, here there too, you were uh, not able to bear it, neither are you able now. For you are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? And then Paul challenged them in 1 Corinthians 16. He said, watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Act like a man, be strong. But we need some strong men right about now. Amen? To be strong. I'm sick and tired. The reason that gender is under attack is because the, that's the enemy at work. Amen? Women are to be, by the way, women are amazing and praise God for women. Men and women. Men need women. Women need men. God brought us together for a reason. Can I get an amen to that? Okay. And I don't want a woman who thinks she's a man. Not interested. Amen. It's not confusing. I've never had a three-year-old wonder what they were. Guys, it's not good. This is the enemy at work. Genesis is under attack. Amen? First, it's creation. They brought up the lie of evolution, which is from the pit of hell. Amen? Is that direct? Amen? Then they attack marriage. Now they're attacking gender. If you don't have a problem with the first four words in the Bible, you don't have a problem. In the beginning, God. And the rest of it takes care of itself. Amen? So he said, look, be men. Act like men. This is Paul exhorting the church in Corinth. And you know what? We need the church to do the same. You know what? And being a man doesn't mean that you're, you know, walk around and rule with an iron fist. You should be the biggest servant in your house. Amen? You should love and serve and lead. Your wife, you should protect your wife, provide for your wife, love your wife, serve your wife, and be her greatest source of encouragement. And she should know without a doubt that you love her more than anything else outside of the Lord himself. Amen? That's what a strong man does. Strong man also is a good dad. Amen? We need godly dads. It's tragic. So David, the word of God concerning Israel, he'd strengthen themselves in his kingdom with all of Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Then he says in verse 11, and this is the number of the mighty men who David had. Now, he's going to talk about the first three guys. It's amazing how many times this happens in Scripture. You know, Jesus had the, tw- the, the crowd, the 70, the 12, and the three. The 12 were the apostles. But then he had the three that he took with him on the Mount of Transfiguration, or he would take them away when he went to pray. And who was it? Peter, James, and John. So he always had that, that nucleus of guys that he was pouring the most into. 
And so we see the same thing here that we're going to see these three guys that are David's most mighty of men. He's, gonna, he's got a huge list here that's going to go on and on, but these are the three guys that he walks with the most. These are the guys who who've, are willing to lay down their lives more than anybody else, and these are the guys used in the most mighty and powerful way. And the reason that they're used so mightily, they've been hanging out with David. They've seen David's faith. He saw David when he refused to, to kill Saul, when he trusted in the Lord, when he didn't throw the spear back. But they also saw David when he went out and fought mighty armies and had great victories. Because again, if God is for us, who can be against us? So the first one is Jashabim, the son of Harkamite, chief of the captains. He had lifted up his spear against 300 and killed by him at one time. One guy with one spear wiping out 300 people. The Bible tells us that one can, you know, that, that you know, 10 can change a, chase a thousand. See, if God is on our side, we're never outnumbered, amen? Sometimes it feels like it in California, amen? Sometimes it feels like we're outnumbered. It feels like there's so many more people walking after the things of the world, but we need to remember that you plus God is a majority, he lifted up his spear. And then I said, after him, notice it says there was Eleazar. So we have Jehoshabim, Eleazar. I like that name. I thought about naming one of my sons that until I read the rest of this verse. The son of Dodo. <laughs> I like Eleazar, son of Dodo. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> you knew this guy had to be tough with a dad named Dodo. <laughs> said, who was one of the three mighty men. Now, what do we know about Eleazar? Eleazar, this man led a singular battle against a far more numerous foe, so much that his hand was stuck to the sword. It tells in 2 Samuel 23 that his hand is on the sword for so long that he can't let go of it. And you know what? Our hand ought to be so tight on this that we can't let go of it. Can I get an amen? Because this is the sword that we use. This is the only offensive weapon that we see in scripture, right? Everything else is the shield and the, sword and the belt, but this is the word of God. And he held onto its, the sword so tightly that he could not even let go of it. So we see Joab, he was the first of that three who went in and brought the victory in Jerusalem. And then we saw Jehoshabim and then Eleazar. And these are just three of David's mighty men. God's strength and um, protection and blessing upon them. And again, we're indestructible till God's through with us. So warriors don't give up. They stand up against the enemy. They won't bow. They'll stand for the things of God. We need to remember that. And as Christians, I think there's just too much fear. Now, we all battle with fear. I say this all the time. We all have fearful moments. Amen? We all have fearful moments. But no, that's not from the Lord. We don't need to be afraid. God is for us who can be against us. He's a faithful God. Notice what it says here of these three as we continue on down there in verse uh, 13. It says, he was with David. This is Eleazar. He's one of the three mighty men. He was with David at Pasdamim. Now there, the Philistines were gathered to battle. And there was a piece of ground full of barley. So the people fled from the Philistines. So barley, just, I just love the Bible and I love taking time. If it gives you that detail that's there for a reason, I went and looked and barley was the least expensive and the least valuable crop that they could have. So it's not wheat, it's barley. It's, the, it's a, of the least amount of value. But again, watch what they do. So the Philistines are coming, everybody else runs away. 
And it says, but they stationed themselves in the middle of the field and defended it and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. When did the victory come? When they stood firm where God told them to be and did not flinch when the enemy came running in. Amen? They defended a bean field, a bean patch, right? And they stood firm. They stood next to each other and they trusted Almighty God. And guys, Thousand Oaks now, the Canal Valley is the bean patch God's placed us in. And we want to stand for the things of God, even if nobody else will. And I don't care, and I, I say it all the time, I don't care how many more pandemics there are. I don't care how many more variants there are. We're not going to stop having church ever. Amen. Amen. Ever. Why? Because this is, this is the bean patch we have. And we're going to hold the word of God up. And we're going to teach it when people are afraid. Amen. There's still people riding in their cars by themselves with three masks on. Guys, it's okay. But if you don't know the Lord, you should be afraid. Amen? These warriors didn't give up. They stood their ground. We don't do it in our strength. It's in the power of his might. But if we have the Holy Spirit in us, we have nothing to be afraid of. We can trust in the sovereignty of God. We can make a stand for the things of God. And we need to do that. By the way, we don't want to win battles and lose people. We want to win people to Christ. Amen? Amen. Don't win arguments. Who cares? Secondary issues, let it go. Love them and point them to the Lord. It says this in Ephesians. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto yourself the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Amen, amen. And amen. That's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Point number four. So we've seen God is always faithful to his promises. If God is for us, who can be against us? That Christians can be strong. We don't have to be timid mice. Amen. The Lord wants us to focus on what's in front of us, not what's behind us. What does the enemy want you to do? He wants to condemn you with your past, doesn't he? He'll bring it up. He'll condemn your past. He'll remind you of it. He'll drag you back through it. I love that bumper sticker that says, the next time Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Amen? <laughs> but notice it says here, the Lord wants to, again, us to focus on what's in front of us. Begin there in verse uh, 15. It says, now three of the 30 chief men went down to the rock to David into the cave of Adullam, and the army of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. And David was there in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said he had a longing, oh, that someone would give him a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So these same three mighty men that we saw previously, they're with him again. And now David says in their presence, as they're about to go into battle against the Philistines who have overtaken Bethlehem, which is David's hometown. And he says, oh, I would love to have some water from that well just outside the city gate. And you know, no doubt this is something, uh, you know, we all have comfort food from stuff we used to eat as kids, amen? And it's just something about it. It's not even just the food itself, but where it comes from. 
My family has a place in Santa Cruz we go to every time we're there. Sometimes we'll be up there for five days, we'll go there five times. It's called Eric's Deli, it's just a deli. But we grew up eating it, my family loves it. I've literally dry iced a, a, a sandwich from there to my daughter in Colorado because she wanted one. So whenever we go, we go to Eric's Deli because there's just something about it. We grew up with it. Well, this is David. Oh, how it'd be, oh, I would love to have, they're out in the, the cave, they're hiding, they're getting ready to go out and fight the Philistines. And he just kind of thinks out loud about this water, how it would really, by the way, the best water I've ever tasted came out of the hose in my front yard. <laughs> Anybody drink out of the hose besides me? That's good stuff. Nice hard water. Don't need no softeners, nothing. To fire that thing up, it's good. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so David had spent time in this cave when they became the mighty men of God. And this passage describes something that happened during that time or later in this time of battle. And so David just says, this is something I long for. So watch what these guys do. Watch what these guys do. They have such hearts to serve the one who serves the Lord that when they hear that this is something that will bless him, they're going to risk their lives to go down amongst all the Philistines to get him a cup of water from the well that he likes and bring it back to him. Watch what happens here. Verse, 15, uh, verse 17. So David was longing. So the three, verse 16. So the three broke, verse 18. Sorry, the light up here is not real good. So I apologize. It's a little dim up here. So the three broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well at Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, David would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. Now, first of all, this just seems kind of odd that they risked their lives and they brought and David wouldn't even drink it. He poured it out. You know, you think the guys might be offended. But David was overwhelmed by their willingness to go and risk their lives to bring him a cup of water. And he was so overwhelmed by it that he didn't think it was right for him to drink it, but that it should be poured out as an act of worship to the Lord. Like, I'm not worthy of it. The Lord alone is worthy of it. See, they had risked their lives. They shouldn't risk their lives for me. They should risk their lives for the Lord. And he wanted to take the focus off of himself and put it back on the Lord. And that's why he would not take it for himself. So because David longed for something in his past, they were willing to go back and risk their lives. And again, David was so honored by their self-sacrifice of these three mighty men that he felt the water was too good for him and worthy to be poured out in a sacrifice to the Lord. He believed the great sacrifice of these men could only be honored by giving the water to God. See, the point of David pouring out his water, the water on the ground is threefold. It highlights the great act of bravery by these men. It exalts David's abilities to inspire loyalty and it was recognized as an act of worship. It's interesting. I, I'll, I'll never forget this. So my pastor that I served under for five years in San Jose, his name is Don McClure. And he was in the early Calvary Chapel days back in the 70s. By the way, there's a movie coming out called The Jesus Movement. It's not coming out for another nine months or so. And it's literally the, how the Jesus Movement took place. I don't know if you know the Calvary Chapel past, but basically in the 60s, Pastor Chuck had been pastoring... Uh, four square churches. And he said every two years, he'd have to go to a new church because he ran out of message. He only had a hundred and he'd run out. And he wanted to just teach verse by verse of the Bible. And his denomination told him no. And so he was going to quit 
I go work. And then this little tiny church that just happened to be called Calvary Chapel, had about 20 people in it, said, will you come be our pastor? He said, well, I want to teach verse by verse through the Bible. I'm like, teach whatever you want. So he came and started teaching verse by verse through the Bible. And then as the church started to grow, his wife had a heart for all the hippies. This is in the 60s. And he said to his, his, he said, told his daughter, bring a hippie home. I want to meet a hippie. He brought a hippie home. He, he led with, shared the Lord with them. And then God gave him this huge ministry. And when I started going to Calvary Costa Mesa as a kid, we were meeting in a tent like this one, but a way bigger as thousands of people came every night and all these hippies were there and they called it the Jesus movement and all these hippies were getting saved. There was church seven nights a week. The place was packed out. It's where the first Christian music with electric guitars and stuff. I, w- I, w- I was going to Baptist church with bringing in the sheaves, you know, and the little black tie. <laughs> and I showed up at Calvary Chapel and these guys came out, hippies with long hair and electric guitars. And it was a band called Mustard Seed Faith. Some of you probably heard of them. And I still remember the first song, I'm so happy in Jesus and the love he gave to me makes me feel like a bird on its wings or a sailboat out to sea. And I remember they're praying this music and, they're, and I'm looking at my parents, is this okay? Are we allowed to like, are we allowed to like, like have music we like? Is that okay? <laughs> and the hippies had no, there were no shoes on sitting on the grass. I remember they, you know, during worship, they're doing this whole thing. You know, doing the wave, right? <laughs> and what was amazing was the guy handed me his Bible. I'd never seen anybody writing a Bible before. I was like eight years old. I opened up the Bible. It's all written on, and it's highlighted. It's got a cover. And I was blown away by how much this person spent in time in God's Word. And they had an altar call, and hundreds of people got saved. And my, my mom took us, and my dad was a Baptist pastor still. And we went home, and all these people from his elders, the elders were meeting. And she walked in and said, you need to quit that church. We need to start going to Calvary Costa Mesa, because that's the book of Acts happening down there. And do you know, out of that church came over 3,000 churches planted like this one that, that we're known for, teaching verse by verse through the whole counsel of God. And look what God does. Amen? And the movie's coming out, and I'm blown away. The guy playing Chuck Smith is Kelsey Grammer from Frasier. And I saw an interview with him. I'm gonna get, I gotta get back to the word. I saw an interview with him. But here's what I love about it. Here's what I love about it. Greg Laurie said to him, why did you do this movie? He said, I've been making, I've been acting my whole life and it's all empty. And he said, I was like asking God, like, well, give me something meaningful. meaningful." And the next day the script came and he said, I have to do this. And and Greg said, I think God sent it to you. And and Kelsey Grammer gets tearful and he said, I know he did. So if he's going to play Chuck Smith, he's got to watch a lot of Chuck Smith messages. (laughs) Pray for his salvation. Amen. But the point is here, we see this, this example of someone who loves the Lord and how it's rubbing off on the people hanging out with him. And how they just, they, and, and what I was going to say about Chuck was, I remember going to a pastor's conference and my pastor was there and we're always kind of, and, and, and Chuck would need something and you see these guys who all pastor these churches jumping up to serve their pastor. And again, Chuck never wanted to be served. Any pastor shouldn't want to be served. God alone be served. But they had a respect for him because he had discipled them. Amen? It's like the people loved Paul when he wrote him a letter, right? And that was the mentality that was there. And so they had a love for him. These mighty men of God, they're willing to lay down their lives because when they met David, they were distressed. Their life had no meaning. They needed direction. And they hung out with David. Let's finish up. And notice what happens here. He says here, Verse 19, he said, far be it from me, 
Oh my God, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of, of these men who have put their lives in jeopardy? For they risked their lives, they bought it. Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by these mighty men. So these three mighty men there, verse 19, the, the Lord wants us to focus on what's in front of us. Instead of focusing on going back to that which is comfortable, God wants us to be faithful. Last two points, verse 20 to 25, we're going to see three more mighty men of God. And our enemies are only greater for God is small. Look at verse 20. Abishai, the brother of Joab, was chief of another three. So there were three men. Here's another three. He had lifted up his spear against 300 men and killed them and won a name among these three. Of the three, he was more honored than the other two men. Therefore, he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first three. So these first three, they were the closest. They were the leaders. And then below them, there were three more leaders. So there are leaders that are being raised up. But notice they're all servants and people willing to lay down their lives. They're not looking to be served, but to serve. Now notice what happens. Look at verse 22. Benaniah was the son of Jehoiada, the son of valiant men from Cadsville. And he was done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. Lion-like. What does that mean? They got manes of hair. I don't know. But they're lion-like. They're bad dudes. And he took them both out. He'd also gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. If I'm walking in the snow and there's a lion in the pit, I'm walking the other direction. He jumps down into the pit, takes the lion out. Again, lions. Satan is a roaring lion, soup you may devour. This says in verse 23, and he killed an Egyptian, a man of great height, five cubits tall. That's about 12 feet tall. In the Egyptian's hand, there was a spear like a weaver's beam. And he went down to him with a staff, wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These are guys you want serving in security at your church. Amen. This guy goes out, takes the guy's 12 feet tall spear away from him and kills him. He probably heard about David destroying 11 foot 750. Amen. See, when we see faith in others, we see strength in others. It gives strength to us as well. And it says there, these things, Ben and I, verse 24, the son of Jehoiada did and won a name among the mighty men. Indeed, he was more honored than 30 but he did not attain to the first three, and David appointed him over his guard. Now, Benaiah, we're going to see him later. He became Solomon. Uh, when Solomon becomes king after David, this is the man who becomes his, uh, his chief, his chief uh, security guy, the guy that walks alongside him. Now, the rest of the text is another genealogy, and these, it lists in here all these other mighty men of God. So the list goes on and on, all these mighty men of God. I want to just point out a couple, and then we'll close. On this list, it's in verse 41, it says, Uriah the Hittite. How do we know that guy? Who is he? Bathsheba's husband. He was one of David's mighty men. And David later quit fighting battles, was staying home when everybody's fighting a battle. He gets up in the afternoon, the Bible says, so he's napping all day. He stands out on his rooftop. He sees a woman bathing. He finds out it's Bathsheba, and he's attracted to her, but she's married. And one the, her husband is one of the mighty men who's out fighting the battle while David's staying home. And so he goes and gets Bathsheba. He sleeps with her, and she gets pregnant. And to cover it, he 
has Uriah come home and Uriah won't go in and be and have the comfort of his wife, the text says. He said, how can I be intimate with my wife when all everybody else is fighting a battle? That's a man of great integrity and character, amen? So what does David do? David puts him on the front line so he dies. I just want you to notice that was one of David's guys. Take heed lest you fall, amen? This was a guy that protected him and served him and walked with him. He was a mighty man of God. And sadly, because David was so caught up in the flesh that he ceased to care who he hurt anymore. And that's what can happen to all of us. We must walk in the spirit so we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Amen? Because when you get in the flesh, it will destroy your marriage. You'll destroy your relationship with your kids. You will destroy your character, your reputation, and everything about you. Amen? It will bring harm to the cause of Christ. See, spiritual maturity and leadership, last point, are reflected by not only the standing for the Lord against the world, but the influence his life and character had on those closest to him. You see all these men following, Je- uh, following David? All these men had seen the man that David was. They'd seen how he responded when he was under attack. They saw his faithfulness over time, and what did they do? They wanted to follow him. We need to be men and women We don't want people following us in a sense. We want them following the Lord, but we want to lead them to the Lord. Amen? We want to be a Christ-like example to them. So in closing, the battle belongs to the Lord. First of all, God is always faithful to his promises. He anointed David king. He waited 25 years. God may have put a, a calling upon your life, and maybe it hasn't happened yet. You continue to be faithful and trust in him until it does. If God is for us, who can be against us? We saw those who were used mildly suffered greatly. And they're going to stand for the Lord in the face of great opposition. We saw that Christians can be strong. Warriors don't give up the stand, but stand fast against the enemy. We should not be the people that back away when the enemy comes after us. Amen? We make a stand for the things of God. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Satan is a defeated foe. Number four, the Lord wants us to focus on what's in front of us. David was so enamored with what was behind him that these guys risked their lives to go backward when God really wants us to go forward in our walk with him. Our enemies are only great if our God is small. We see these great victories that were won. Why did these men win great victories? Not because they were great warriors in and of themselves, but because God was with them. Remember I said David was great because God was with him. You know what makes us great? If God is with us. There's nothing great about us. He's great. We just be with him. Amen. And then finally, spiritual maturity and leadership are reflected most by not just standing against the world, but having an influence on the life and character of others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. Help us, Lord, to walk in the center of your will, to be the men and women of God you've called us to be. Help us, Lord, to stand strong, but Lord, in the power of your might, not ours. Help us to be humble and kind and gracious, but also to be fearless. And Lord, we know that can only happen if we walk in your power and in your strength. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. We pray for this bean patch you've given us, Lord. Help us to hold on to the word of God and to be faithful to reach people that need you. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said,